0: So today we are continuing the I Am series. Pastor RJ is going to talk about being I Am the Gate. Last week uh, we started with I Am the Vine. Uh, we're going to continue today. we previously discussed uh, the revelation of Jesus to the world as the true vine and as the light of the world. Uh, today I'm going to be continuing uh, these I Am statements of Jesus where he revealed himself to humanity with I Am the Gate, or it's also rendered I Am the Door uh, so today when you hear the word gate or you hear the word door, they're kind of interchangeable. I'll probably use sometimes door, or sometimes gate. It's the same word. We doing okay? Yes? No? Maybe? Sometimes I'll use both. But in the language that we see when we're talking about this with I am the door and I am the gate, in the context when you're looking at John 9 and 10, where I'm, where I'm preaching from right now, the picture is sheep and shepherd and a sheepfold. And in the, in the in the ancient Middle East where Israel would have been, the most common sheepfold would have been probably some, some rocks piled probably about three, three and a half feet high, maybe with some thorns on top to kind of discourage predators and thieves from sneaking. And it would be in a big circle-type shape. And there would be one entrance or one gate or one door into the sheepfold. Now, at night, the shepherd would bring his, gate, or bring his sheep into the sheepfold. And interesting enough, in North America, we tend to drive our sheep. So you get a sheepdog, and he nips at the heels of the sheep, and he gets them to kind of go where they're supposed to go. In the Middle East, especially in those days, the shepherd would call to his sheep, and the sheep would follow the voice of the shepherd. So even the way that they culturally... Um, raised sheep was a little bit different than the way that we do here today. Now that said, um, at night they would bring the sheep into the sheepfold for protection. So A, they didn't get stolen. B, they didn't get lost. Or C, they didn't become someone's dinner, like the local wolf or lion, you know, or other predators that attack sheep. Now, sometimes out in the Rural areas, I'll say, someone would have a sheep pen attached to their house. And often in those cases, the shepherd would actually become the door and he would sleep across the doorway to the sheep pen or the entrance. In the cities, uh, they would get a watchman and they would bring multiple herds in to the sheep pen that was a little bit larger. And and the watchman's job was to make sure that no one stole the sheep and, and that they only went with their shepherd. But interesting enough, multiple Flocks could come into one sheep pen, but when the shepherd came and started calling to his sheep, his sheep would follow him out the next day. And so this is the language, this is kind of the context of this picture. Now obviously there's some spiritual revelation connected to this physical picture um, that we're talking about. So in John chapter 9, if you're if you're reading, you're gonna see Jesus heals a blind man. And the religious leaders are quite upset about this, the Pharisees. And eventually, after questioning the guy and he wasn't answering their questions how they wanted him to, have you ever asked someone a question and they didn't answer it how you want them to? Come on, husbands and wives, this is a classic. This is a classic. The wife looks at the husband and says something like, "Um, Does this dress make me look. There's no right answer, man. To set up. <laughs> no. Uh, the, the thing that I'm saying is when the Pharisees, the religious leaders were asking the blind man questions about who healed him, he wasn't giving them the answers they wanted. So they eventually threw him out of the synagogue. They kicked him out of the church because he didn't answer their questions. And part of it was he chose to recognize Jesus for who he was. And they, the spiritual leaders who should have seen who Jesus was revealed um, through the scriptures, didn't. So really the blind man got his natural sight and his spiritual sight and the people that could see were blinded to the truth. That's another message. So in this context, two things. Both sheep and the shepherds would have come to the gate, but Jesus refers to himself as the gate. Okay, now the the people that would be following the shepherd, in this case following Jesus or following the religious leaders, right? See, because they wanted to be the shepherd to the people. And, And... Jesus was the true shepherd to the people, which we're going to talk about in another lesson. But he, was, he said, I am the gate. Now, <laughs> in this dialogue, okay, Jesus, in the context, even goes so far in Matthew 7, which I'm going to get to, as to call them false prophets. Now, how many know when you're talking to religious leaders and you tell them that they're a false prophet, that usually goes over like a lead balloon? It doesn't float like you think it's going to. In John 10, verses 8 and 9, I'll read it out of the Amplified. All who came before me, this is Jesus, as false messiahs and self-appointed leaders are thieves and robbers. So he's saying he's the gate. So the only way the other people came in is by climbing over the wall of the sheep pen and trying to steal the sheep. But the true sheep did not hear them. Case in point, this blind man who was healed by Jesus was continuing to follow Jesus even when the religious leaders of the day kicked him out of the church because he was following Jesus and he knew Jesus' voice. I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved and will live forever and will go in and out freely and find pasture or spiritual security. That's how the Amplified renders it. So Jesus is explaining again to the Jewish leaders and the people that he is the entrance to heaven. There is no other way to heaven except through Christ, and he's stating he is the door. He's the gate to eternal life. So if you want eternal life, you will not find another way to eternal life except through Jesus. He is the doorway. He's the gate. Now, he's the gate to the Father, Ephesians 2.18, amplified. For it is through him that we both, and contextually you see it to Jews and Gentiles, have a direct way of approach in one spirit to the Father. So it's through Christ that all people are able to approach the Father. He's the door. If you want to approach the Father, you have to go through Christ. If you don't go through Christ, you cannot approach the Father. Now, this is really important because today... We have religious leaders around the globe that are suggesting that there's other doors besides Christ alone. There's other pathways to heaven. They are thieves and they are robbers who come to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Any religious system where man creates the rules or the pathway to to meet with God will not lead to the abundant life that Christ has promised us. Because God is the one who establishes the means of the covenant, the terms of the covenant. God is the one who establishes the way that we approach him. And he makes it pretty clear when Jesus says, I am the gate. In other words, when Jesus says, I am the gate, he's making a statement. If you want to get to the Father, you have to go through me, period. Anyone that says anything different is lying to you. Now watch. This ties in really closely to another conversation in Matthew 7. I'll start in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad and easy to travel is the path that leads the way to destruction and eternal loss. And there are many who enter through it. Which way? The path of destruction. But small is the gate and narrow and difficult to travel is the path that leads the way to everlasting life and there are few who find it. Immediately, In verse 15, same context, same conversation. Jesus says, beware of the false prophets, teachers who come to you dressed as sheep, appearing gentle and innocent, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, this passage, when I look at that, I'm not convinced that this is only for sinners and non-believers on the outside looking in. Okay, I don't think it's limited to that. I think that there's people in religious systems of worship and religious systems that have a form of godliness that deny the power of it. And they play church and they believe in Jesus, but they don't obey his commandments. And there's a huge difference between someone who acknowledges Christ and someone who obeys his commandments and produces the fruit of the spirit inside of their life. And if you wanna be a little bit more sobering on this, jump down to verse what, 21? 21. And this is one of the most uh, put the fear of the Lord in you passages in the New Testament. When I read this, it puts the fear of God in me. And it should put the fear of God in you. And if it doesn't, I have some concerns. It's a very sobering passage. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day when I judge them. Jesus knew he was going to judge us. Lord, Lord, we have, not, have we not prophesied in your name and not driven out demons in your name and done many miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them publicly, I never knew you. Depart from me. You are banished from my presence, you who act wickedly, disregarding my commands. Jesus makes it very clear. He's the gate. He's the doorway. He's the pathway. It's a narrow way. Few are gonna find it. There's a lot of people that are in churches. They profess Christ, but they don't obey his commands. And when I read that, okay, God, am I obeying your command? Am I doing what you, and yes, we can have an assurance of salvation in Christ. But the truth is, what are you producing in your life? Are you producing the fruit of the spirit? Or are you producing the lust of the flesh? Which works are being produced? Because when God judges you, it's not based on your profession of faith. It's based on your obedience to his commands, loving him and loving people. That's what the scriptures teach. Now, watch 1 Timothy 2 5. There is one God, one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. That means the only one who can get you in relationship with the Father is Jesus. You do not need, listen carefully, you do not need a pastor, a priest, an imam, a rabbi, a monk, the Dalai Lama, a sadhu, or any other title of religious leader to talk to God on your behalf. I, as a pastor, can pray with you. I can join my faith with you, but I cannot have a relationship with God for you. The onus and the responsibility is on you as an individual to have your own relationship with Jesus. And you must do that. Other people can support you in that. They can guide you, they can help you, but they can't do it for you. There was an old adage, uh, how does it go? Uh, You can lead a a horse to water, but you can't. I mean, you can salt the oats. You can encourage them to drink, but you still cannot make the horse drink. You do relationship with God, you and God. Your husband and wife are, you can't blame them on judgment day. You can't blame your kids. You can't blame your boss, your coworkers, your neighbors. You can't blame anyone else for your actions and your responsibility before God. This is a fun message. Come on. (laughs) You only have relationship with the Father through Jesus, who is the doorway. Okay? The gate to heaven. So, here. When you go to an amusement park or, or a venue, you know, like we took the kids to Cedar Point, or we went to Dollywood, or my other daughter went to Wonderland, Wonderland. you know, there's these big places where, know, there's one gate at the entrance that you walk through. And if you don't go through that gate, you don't get in. You see what I'm saying? And when you come to the gate, you better have a ticket or a pass, whatever, season pass ticket, whatever. And you show them the ticket and then they let you in. But if you don't have a ticket, guess what? You're not getting in. If you want to go to heaven, the gate is Jesus and the ticket is acknowledging his lordship in your life, accepting his sacrifice for your sins, which you're repenting of, forgiving others, right? You forgive others, you receive forgiveness from God. And then you obey his commandments, in some circles, when they preach salvation, they leave out the part about obeying the commandments of Jesus, but it's part and parcel for salvation. You cannot be saved if you're not trying to obey the commandments of Christ. <gasps> Blasphemy, it's in Christ alone, not our works. You're right. But doesn't it talk about over and over again in the scriptures, if your heart is changed, your actions are going to correspond to that? Faith without corresponding actions is what? What? dead or useless okay that's very biblical in that teaching now there's a ticket that you need to get to heaven that's jesus okay and 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 i'm not relegating the son of god to a ticket i'm just trying to say the entranceway (laughs) is the door now today and this is where i want to get to for a little bit the world system that you and i live in is attempting to achieve eternal life. They're creating a pathway to eternity without Christ. And many of you are so engulfed in this world system that you're marching along with the world, partaking of it, and you don't even realize it. And my hope is that we can raise our level of discernment so that we can discern truth and error right now. We see people today that create their own religion. They create their own system of worship. They create their own rules, their own structure, and their own basis by which they're going to approach God. We've already established you can't do that. People twist scriptures to justify their wrong behaviors and their wrong beliefs. We see this all the time where people pull a scripture out of its context and try to create something so that they can do what they want to do. Uh, People appeal to humanism as a pathway to eternity, and I'm going to focus on that one a little bit in a second. But today, we see people looking to science to prolong their life indefinitely, bypassing the need for Jesus. Okay? So hear me when I say this, and I'm just going to highlight a couple things. I'm not going to go into great detail. But any attempt to achieve eternal life without Christ is not going to lead you to where you want it to go. Are we doing okay? You following me? So when the world is trying to achieve eternal life without Christ, it's going to end up false. Now, currently, some of the things I'm going to talk about, you're going to look at me like I'm crazy, but do your research. It's all fact, it's all truth, it's all happening, okay? I talk to people, they're like, well, that happened in Star Trek. Yeah, 30 years ago, that was Star Trek. Today, it's your reality, and we need to be aware of what's really going on in the world and what Satan's system or his order is trying to accomplish. Let me tell you, we already see The nations of the world starting to unite around some of these keywords or these taglines or these banners. We're seeing it right before our very eyes. You've never seen so much unity amongst the nations except on these things. They fight on everything else, but they agree on these things. Right now, research is being done because they want to be able to upload their brain or their consciousness to the cloud Because in their opinion, your brain is simply a series of on-off switches, binary digits on or off. So that your consciousness and your memories can be uploaded to the cloud. So that when this shallower body fails, we can just download it into another one. Have you looked at, and I'll just highlight one, okay. Now, now understand, and I'm probably getting a little ahead of myself. I believe that many people researching these technologies have good intentions and good desires and some of the outcomes will be very good and I'm going to explain that to you. Okay. So I'm not saying technology is good or bad. I'll come back to that. There's a company called Neuralink. Here's their mission statement. Create a generalized brain interface to restore autonomy to those with unmet medical needs today. In simple terms, if someone's paralyzed in a car accident, they're trying to create a brain interface that will allow your brain to control a robotic limbs and restore motion and give you your range of life back. How many say that sounds good? I think it's fantastic. But there's part two of their mission that really scares me. And and I'm not afraid, but it's concerning. to restore autonomy to those with unmet needs today and unlock human potential tomorrow. Well, what does that mean? And what does that look like? Okay. The current development is fascinating in a lot of ways because if we could actually do that, where we take a, a, a person who's paralyzed and get them to be mobile again and gain functionality, that's fantastic. I don't have an issue with that. Imagine, you know, Where it could go, though, is, and what we don't think about, is if you're putting a chip in someone that's a computer, it can be hacked, and if someone hacks it and then takes control of their limbs and forces them to do something that they don't want to do because they're hacked, are they legally responsible for the murder they just committed when they got hacked? It opens a whole series of ethical questions that no one wants to talk about yet. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. Have you done any research on nanotransfection? Anyone? Two of you know what nanotransfection is? They now have technology, and it's going into human studies probably this year. They'll begin the human trials in vivo. Learn the language. Understand what you're talking about, okay? They can take a damaged cell or a diseased cell, and with energy, they infuse it with DNA that causes it to reform as a healthy cell. Now, the applications of this are mind-boggling. And I'll just use this as an illustration. If your liver is failing, okay, they can take the sick liver cells and they can infuse it with DNA that causes the sick cells to rearrange themselves as healthy cells, and then your liver will start functioning as it should. And at the same time, they're working on this technology and about to go to human trials. Okay. They're developing nanotech, little micro machines, little tiny robots that they can inject into your system that will find the diseased cells and replace them and start functioning in their place. So essentially, you could end up with a, literally a robotic liver instead of one that you have. You don't need a liver transplant anymore. You just need some injections where the disease cells get changed out for machines that function as cells. Now we do heart valves and we do robotic limbs, and I'm not saying these things are good and evil in and of themselves. I'll come back to that. In Israel, about a week and a half ago, they actually created a human embryo without the stuff that normally creates a human embryo. In simple terms, normally you take a a sperm from a male and an egg from a female, and you put them together, and you get a human embryo. They've now created an embryo outside of that process without sperm or egg. I think they used some other types of cells. But they're trying to create life without God. Are they going to create sustainable life? Not yet. Are they ever going to get there? I don't know. Maybe. But imagine the application of that for the thousands of people around the world that desire children but are unable to conceive for one reason or another. This could change the lives of so many people to give them the ability to procreate. Again, many people are researching these technologies for the good of humanity, to help humanity. There's many questions around these technologies, but I'll give you a very simple illustration. I am talking to you on a public address system with a microphone and some speakers and amplifiers, okay? The truth is if I turn off my mic, everybody beyond the second row said, what did he say? I said, most of you aren't gonna be able to hear what I say, why? So. I can preach the word of God through this public address system and it can accomplish good because it just helps you hear the word of God further without me having to scream, okay? But a witch can come up here and cast a spell on somewhere, a Satanist can teach about Satan or someone can lead people into false religion just as easily with the public address system. Is the public address system good or bad? It's neutral. It's the intent of the user. And while I believe that most of the people working on this technology have good intent for the betterment of humanity, there are some people that are gonna take this technology places that you don't want it to go. Satan's end game is to destroy humans. How many of you know this? It's It's been his agenda from day one in the garden when there was two trees. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And boy, did the tree the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil looked good. It looked so good. But he broke the relationship that God had with humans in that moment. So God had to send a Messiah to save us. Okay? I believe that this technology that we are now developing is setting the stage for Satan's end time agenda to attack us as humans who are supposed to be image bearers made in the image and likeness of God. You were created in his image and likeness, mind, body, and spirit. We act like him, we reflect him, we worship, we interact with others to bring him glory. By the way, human suffering actually fits into the plan that God has for humanity. It wasn't his plan, but because of sin, it became a part of his plan and redemption, and healing, and deliverance. And even death is a part of God's plan now. Because when the law of sin and death entered in, now death, everybody's gonna die. Bible says it's appointed a man wants to die. Outside of Christ, it's not good to die. (laughs) Because your future is pretty bleak. Satan's end game is to attack humans. I can see the stage being set now very clearly how the Antichrist is going to usher in his anti-kingdom against the kingdom of God. And it looks like he's going to use some of this stuff that I'm talking about right now to accomplish his purposes in the day and hours that are to come. Now watch. Revelation 13, 18. Wisdom is needed here. Let one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast. Another translation talks about, let us solve the riddle here. For it's the number of man. And we know six is the number of humans. And then it says his number is 666. Six, six. And, and to be honest, I don't want to get into the development of this, the controversy of it. I don't want to get into the ups and downs of it and the 500 other versions of this. I'm simply going to make a statement. When man... Kind, deifies themselves with 666, which is the trinity of man. Mankind putting themselves on the throne to be worshipped. Excommunicating God from their system of belief and process. Okay, When man becomes God, they no longer are image bearers of the creator whose image and likeness they were made in. But they bear the mark in the image of the beast or the false system that the enemy is setting up to destroy humans. So when this mark of the beast that they talk about in the book of Revelation, when it comes online, it's coming online with an agenda of mankind rejecting God's order in the earth and humans worshiping themselves in place of worshiping the creator who is blessed forever, right? So, so we're coming to a day very soon, I think. And when I say soon, I mean, In our lifetime, most likely, because you can see the stage being set where now the enemy has revealed his hand. And if we're wise, we can see what he's trying to do in the earth. And he's trying to attack the sons and daughters of the most high God as the image bearers. Now, my hope is that in a couple of weeks when I talk about the good shepherd, I'm going to bring in the counterpart of this where the church is going to arise and we're going to be glorious. not telling you this to get you in fear. I'm telling you this because we need to wake up and see what we're dealing with here. Because we believe stuff that's happening all around us and, we, and we're, oh yeah, okay, okay, okay. We say yes, we say yes, we say yes, we say okay, but nobody stops and asks, where's this going? Jesus revealed himself to humans as the healer and giver of eternal life. Did you hear that? Now, when we're looking at this, I am not against medical profession, and I'm not against doctor. I don't. I think that they do great things to help people. I wish that people would take better steps helping themselves, okay, because lots of people drink poison every day, and then they wonder why they're sick, There's things out there, and I don't need to get into that right now. My point is, we're to be good stewards of the body that God gave us. And sometimes, that body breaks down. And the further we get away from the perfection of creation, the more and more decay you're going to see. Humans will actually get weaker over time, not stronger. So, we have some advances in science that can help prolong life, but... At this point, they haven't been able to create eternal life outside of Christ, but that's their goal, and they want to be able to evolve humans to humans 2.0, where we don't need God and we can control our own future. Jesus is the gate to eternal life. In John 17, verses 1 to 5. After saying these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour's come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you've given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you've given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into glory as we shared before the world began. A couple things there. One, Jesus realized that he was glorified with God. He humbled himself, came to earth, putting that glory aside. While well, he lived as a human among us, he was crucified on a tree, okay? When he rose from the dead, now he's restored to that place of honor with God and he wanted, and the glory comes back, right? And then, and then he glorified God with everything that he did when he healed the sick, when he drove out to demonic, when he was obedient to God's commands, he brought him glory, okay? You and I as Christ's followers under his authority when we do the things he tells us to do and we're obedient to his commands and his teachings, we give glory to God, not to ourselves. Okay, because there's religious teachers on platforms all over the world and when they teach the word of God and signs, wonders, and miracles, they take the glory for themselves and say, look at me. Never look at me, look at him. Okay, we don't wanna look at you either, we wanna look at him. God gets the glory. Someone gets healed, I'm healed, Jesus healed them. We cast out devils, that's great. Jesus drove out the demonic. I was the instrument by which he accomplished his purpose here on earth. Okay, same with you. First John 5, 6 to 12. Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God, and God has testified about his Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God testified about his Son. Like when Jesus was baptized and the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I will plead. You know, God testified about Jesus right there in front of everybody. And this is what God testified. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Did you catch that? The door to eternal life is only found in Jesus. Period. Your good works will never get you to heaven. Your religious system will never get blessing by this guy or that guy. Who you know will not get you to heaven. Whoever has the son in his life, whoever does not have God's son does not have life. Sorry, whoever has the son has life and whoever does not have the son does not have life. When we look at this, that Jesus is the gate. We live in a time right now where there's a huge battle for truth. Jesus has been established, even in the context of some of those verses, as the cornerstone. The foundation of all truth is Christ. His word. The Bible that's now revealed to us. God's revealed word to us. We encourage you week in and week out from this place. As a Christ follower, you need to pray. You need to listen to the instructions of Jesus. And you need to be obedient. And as you read the word, it shines light on the dark areas of your life. And what do you do? You start changing the way that you think, the way that you live, the way that you interact with others. You lay down this flesh and you take up your cross. We live a crucified life as Christians. Are we sheep following the voice of our master? Are we sheep being driven by the dogs of this world in fear? Because see... As Christ followers, we are to make decisions based on faith, not based on fear. I come back to that. If Jesus is the door, and that's the way to eternal life, if you go through that door into his sheepfold, into spiritual security and eternal life with Christ, through the door, you go through Christ. There's lots of people that are saying that we can get there different ways and we don't need Jesus. In fact, there's a bloodless gospel out there today that you don't need the blood of Jesus to be saved. It's a false gospel. Don't fall for it. Don't believe it. They're crawling over the side of the sheep gate trying to destroy your life, and they're going to lead you away from established biblical truth that is on the foundation of our cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Stand up with me. How are we doing Some of my ministry team in here, if you could come up to the front at this time. Come on up. Pastor Brian, come on up. Pastor Yeah, come on up. James, come on up. Anyone else on the ministry team that's here today? Brandon, I see you out there. A few others. Okay, come on down. Derek, you can come up. Listen, Jesus was revealed to humanity as the healer. And when we partake of the covenant meal, one of the benefits of the covenant is the healing that God has prepared for us, for you and for me. And I think there's a problem when we as Christ followers Look to the Tylenol to heal our headache before we ask Jesus to heal our headache. Not against the Tylenol, but who you go to first often is an indication of who you have more faith in. So are you going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, what's going on here? Can you heal my body before you go through other measures? And I'm not against the other measures, but I think that we need to look to him first if he's the healer. We're Christ's followers. But see, we live in a culture where we don't need God because we can take care of it ourselves without him. But more and more, people are realizing we need God because without him, there's no hope. So when we come to the table, there's a couple things. We come to the table to celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper. He said, celebrate my death till he comes. We take the bread, his body that was broken, why? For your healing. We take the cup, his blood, why? For forgiveness of sins and freedom from the curse. But the scriptures are clear. If there's anyone sick among you, let him call the elders, the leaders in the church. And what are they gonna do? They're gonna lay hands on you and pray the prayer of faith. And if you've confessed your sins and released your sins in the context, you'll be free, you'll be healed. So if you're sick today, or diseased, or struggling with something in your body, you'd like to ask the the leaders to pray, then come down to the front while we partake of communion and let them lay their hands on you and let the spirit of God come into you and let the life of God come into you and let them transform you from the inside out and bring healing and relief to your soul and your body. So I'm gonna partake of communion, but if you need prayer for healing, I'd like you to come down at this time, not 20 minutes later, Respond to the call now. If you're sick and you want prayer, come down. If there's something going on, just come down. Don't be shy. They will pray. They will lay hands on you. They will agree in faith with you and rebuke sickness. Father, I thank you as we have the bread in our hands. As people are coming from all over the room, Lord, that you are the healer. And you went to the cross for our healing and for our freedom. And we declare the blood. We declare healing. We declare peace and life. Everybody in this room, Lord, I speak life. I speak healing. I speak hope. Jesus, we have a covenant with you that you sealed with your own blood at the cross. And I thank you that as your body was broken, that you took stripes on your back for our healing. Not just physical, Lord, but our emotional healing as well. We give those things to you. We lay them down at the foot of your cross. And we declare wholeness to your people today. We declare life that the blood is purified, that the cells are aligning with truth. Jesus, you're the creator. You speak life over us right now in the name of Jesus. And when we look at the cup, which really is the blood of the new covenant, Father, I thank you. That in the name of Jesus, by the power of your blood, that we can receive forgiveness. The doorway is Christ. The ticket is your blood. Father, I thank you that by faith in your sacrifice, we can be restored to relationship with you. Jesus, we confess our sins. We lay down our life. We release people who have sinned against us. Today. And we ask that you will deliver us from the curse and restore us to wholeness, mind, body, and spirit. Let your power be activated in your people today. In Jesus' name. You know, and as the ministry team keeps praying, just hang out. They're gonna minister. The musical play and they're gonna minister. If you could just keep an attitude of prayer for a couple minutes right now. As we start believing Jesus to accomplish his purposes, these people, understand the word has gone forth. You've been given equipping. There's been tools given. Your senses have been sharpened. You're not dull of hearing. because The presence of God has come, and the word of the Lord is going into your heart. Let it, let it take place. Understand that it's in Christ alone that we're saved. It's only in Christ that we're safe. So when's a Christian fellowship? You've been equipped, now go.